Welcome to the Community Corner, the podcast powered by Bevy. I'm your host, Beth McIntyre. In this show, I interview community builders from all spaces in the industry. Stay tuned for actionable strategies to learn and community stories to love, all in 15 minutes. I'm excited to have our next guest, Lais de Oliveira, who has recently published her book, Hacking Communities. Today, Lais explains what hacking communities means. We dive into how communities can build belonging in the post-COVID era and how leading with love is truly at the heart of it all. Welcome, welcome to Lais. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I wonder if you can start by telling us what hacking communities is. Why hacking communities? Well, that's a big question. I literally wrote a book (laughs) to explain what it is, and I'll try to keep it short. Um, So hacking communities derives from my experience building communities without knowing what I was doing at first. I think all of us who are community builders today have started from a place where we did not know that that thing we were doing had a name even about 10 years ago. And suddenly I found myself landing in Malaysia and starting to build communities on behalf of Startup Grind. And suddenly I was meeting very interesting people and the connections were growing fast and exponentially. And within six months of being in Malaysia, I was working for the Malaysian government as a random Brazilian who had just landed in Malaysia. And a year later, I had started a company and things were moving so fast. And I was a foreigner in that place. And suddenly I found myself at home connecting people from the Southeast Asia startup ecosystem to Malaysia, representing Malaysia to the world as part of the government. And I'm like, what is happening? What's going on? So I had this idea of writing an article titled Hacking Communities. And um, I thought it was just too soon by then. And four years later, that article became the idea of a book in which I consolidated all my learnings and experiences in community building, learning from practice, learning from my community, learning from the ecosystem and other community builders. And I created frameworks to describe the level of serendipity that happened in my life. And that kept happening. So hacking communities bring in a set of concepts and principles about community building. It goes from core values of a community builder, a state of mind of a community builder, and it goes also to frameworks such as design of interactions, engineering serendipity, building closeness, and so on. So it's both a spiritual and a practical guide for community building from my experience perspective and from what I've learned from other community builders. Well, and I appreciate, you know, what you say about there are a lot of community builders out there who were doing this thing and didn't realize that it was a thing, that it had this name. So I like the idea of hacking communities. I think there are a lot of people out there who are just kind of flying by the seat of their pants, doing what feels right at the right time. Yeah. And I think this is the best, one of my favorite things. And now, soon after I published Hacking Communities, I joined OnVac as their program director for their Community Builders Fellowship. So bringing in 100 community builders together to share experiences and learn faster from each other as we go. And the beauty of it is that we all say the same things with different words. And what I love when I talk to community builders is that I find similar practices all over the world. And that made me believe that every single human 
is a community builder. That's something which is more of a core belief of mine. And what I mean to do with hacking communities is bringing that inner community builder out of everyone. And that's because part of hacking communities is understanding what community is. And if you go back into our the reason of our survival as a species, belonging is the reason why we survived. Communities are the reason why we survived. And there's a strong biological meaning to a community, which is why I believe we all have that ingrained, hard-coded in our system. And we just have to remember those practices. And this is why I like the conversation that's going on in a way that we are trying to put terms and words and systems into this thing we've all been doing in separate, but now we're bringing this together, turning it into a science and an art together. I love what you said about community profession. Like community is so important. We all need community. And you're right. Even community professionals need community, right? We say therapists need therapists too. So I really appreciate that your your goal, your kind of mission is to bring people together, bring these community professionals together and give them one language to speak and one, you know, the words that we're using and the frameworks that we're using makes sense that we should all be kind of talking the same language here. Yeah, I actually also feel like adding that I shared my language with all, and my language includes other people's languages as well, because I've talked to hundreds of community builders and people I've learned from to write this book, but, and I borrow lots of terms and metaphors from friends of mine and mention them in the book. And I even still do not have the pretension of saying, I know the terms I created, I coined the terms like engineering serendipity is a term we all use and we don't know where exactly it started. And in a nutshell, I think the idea of writing about this and creating and coining some terms is to start a conversation. And from that moment, someone can say, oh, I have another framework for this, for like engineering serendipity or for interaction design. And from there, we can actually start naming things and aligning. So Hacking communities does not have the pretension of saying it holds the absolute truth, but it aims to start a conversation so that we can, we have a starting point to go from there. You spoke before about, you know, how important communities are for building belonging. And for us as human beings, we require that kind of sense of belonging. So what are your thoughts on how communities that we're building can build that belonging in the post-COVID era, or maybe even the during COVID and post-COVID era? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of business-driven communities coming up, or communities around businesses, or interest areas, or we are seeing social media bringing people together in a positive and negative way. But let's not get into this, at least not for now. So what I see is that at first before COVID, Technology had already given us the freedom to belong anywhere. Mobility, and I'm not only talking Wi-Fi. I'm talking connectivity, Wi-Fi, but I'm also talking airplanes, like basic technology, which allowed us to find information and fly anywhere. So for our generation, it became simple to just move to Bali and work from there as a digital nomad. Whereas for our parents, it may not have been so. So at the same time we gained the freedom to belong anywhere, we became lonelier. And this is something we are all trying to understand why it happened. I guess it's somewhat related to the culture of individualism that had been growing for a very long time and has been emphasized by social media, which is very focused on our narcissistic selves. It's a monologue. Social media is already changing 
from a monologue to more of interactions. There are some different channels that offer different kinds of interactions. But what I mean to say here is that we became lonelier, even though we were more connected and we had the freedom to belong anywhere. My take is that technology had given us from the get-go the beauty and the opportunity to belong regardless of our origins, regardless of our backgrounds, ethnicity, gender, location, social class, etc. So we had yet to take advantage of this, to build better, more diverse communities and find belonging beyond where I came from. Whereas before I had to belong in the village where I was born, today I could belong with a group of people because they are the Lord of the Rings fans or because we are, we all like, we are part of CMX and we're all community managers and builders and we want to learn from each other. And I feel that within that place, I build a sense of familiarity. I've built a sense of belonging because I feel safe, because I feel that I know other people and so on. So first part, technology gave us the opportunity to belong anywhere and to build communities without based on other things than our ethnicity, location, geography, and so on. So that's cool. What happened then with COVID is that we were restricted again. But what's happening, which is very interesting, and as I speak, I'm part of the experiment. I'm the mice lab, as we all are, of this era. We don't know yet what's going to come. What I find interesting, though, is that COVID-19 is reinforcing what was happening. And now, for instance, the place where I choose to live not only is a matter of where I choose, I can choose to be anywhere, but it's also a place I commit to because I will stay there longer. So it brought in freedom and commitment. And I personally might be too enthusiastic about it, but I find we'll figure this out into something amazing. What that means is the future of living, the future of real estate, the future of work, the future of so many things, the future of food, in which we might consume more local, we might care for better living. The house where I belong not only can be a place I choose to be, I have so many friends, by the way, who, of course, they are privileged people and that must be put into consideration, but chose to be in Hawaii. I chose to be in the southern side of Brazil. First, I moved to a farm and now I'm here by the beach. And many friends of mine just isolated themselves in a Thai, in Thailand, in an island. So What's happening is that we're building communities around places. We're going to places to live with people we care about in places where we feel good. So our places, the future of our houses, we'll have to think about having wellness in the place where we live, inherently implanted in our places, in our future homes. We have to have people we want to be with because belonging matters. We have to have the lifestyle we want, and, and it's likely going to be the place where we live and work. So the way belonging has changed is that businesses, companies have to think more about the way we provide experiences to people, the way we provide a sense that I'm not only buying anymore your product, or I'm not consuming your content, or I'm not using your service only because of the value you provide to me as a product or a service on a monologue fashion, transactional fashion. But I'm buying you because of the people that come with it, because of the others who are buying as well, because of the people who I'll meet online and offline by being part of this. I'm going to go live in a place and buy from a real estate developer because of the other people who are buying. I'm going to go to CMX because of the other people who are sharing content. I'm going to buy this T-shirt because of 
the way they think about it and the other people who I'll meet through that. So it's no longer value from product. It's value from people to people. And this, I think, is at the core of the future of business. Value will be provided from everyone to everyone. It's no longer about transactions, but relationships. It's no longer about monologues, but conversations. And those who are able to be hosts, not like authorities, I think, will be the future uh, influencers of communities and people in the world. I did speak for like five minutes straight. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> yes, Lais. And in fact, I feel like I was sitting here like, yes, it makes a lot of sense why you wrote a book. And I really can't wait to read it because mm -hmm. everything you just said, I want to unpack. I actually do want to unpack what you said about commitment and you know, the idea that we're committing to a place There's also this idea that you're committing to a community space. Like you said, you can go to all of these different places. You go to CMX, you go to this other product community to, to connect with people who you have something in common with, but you're also making a commitment. As soon as you join that community space, you are kind of saying, I'm committing to be here or I'm committing to contribute or something, right? Do you agree? Yeah, also because I I love the word commitment and it's it, it means it means so much and before personally it sounded like something that was imprisoning to me, like something that would take my freedom away. And what I've learned in the recent years of my life is that commitment comes with it might sound cheesy, so hold on to this thought. But commitment comes from love. And communities are an ultimate bond of love, not fear. So one way to, for example, manage a company is manage it through fear. If you don't work, you will get fired. If you don't perform, you not get a raise. And communities instead, and that implies micromanagement. I'm giving the example of companies because I think that's a very clear example. Versus a love-driven approach in which I trust people. And people care genuinely for the work they're doing, brings with it commitment, which brings in trust, which brings in shared beliefs and values in which I don't need to breathe on their necks. People will work because they care. That's commitment. So commitment comes from love. And this is why I explained what I mean by love. It's not necessarily romantic love, but it comes from caring about the same thing. Caring about the same thing comes from sharing beliefs, from sharing values. So commitment is ultimately sharing beliefs and values and sharing the same story. And of course, commitment comes with belonging, most naturally, because if I share a story with you, if we care for the same thing, it's very likely that we look each other in the eye and feel like, yeah, I trust you. We trust each other. We care for the same. So the beauty of commitment right now is that it implies one of the core values that every community usually mentions is giving first, is adding value first. And this is what commitment entails in practice. So I first spoke of commitment in a beautiful philosophical way, it's love-driven. In practice, what this means is that I'll take care of you, take care of me. I'll give first because I trust the system. I don't trust necessarily that by giving first to Beth, she will have the opportunity to give back to me. But I trust that giving first to Beth, maybe John, who's also part of our community, will help me when I need it. There's, a, there's an ultimate sense of trust, not towards individuals to individuals, but towards the community itself, in which I feel like I'm committing to this. I'm giving my time. I'm giving my knowledge. I'm giving my resources because, and that's commitment, because I trust. 
And I think that it yields so many positive things and it's just very, it builds up a virtual cycle, which bows up from commitment. Oh, Laise, I could just talk to you for hours and hours. We are unable to do that in this forum, but... And I don't think no one would listen, Beth. Yeah, you're right. I think that they would tune out pretty quickly here. But anyway, I do have one last question as part of the podcast today, and that is, what is a memorable moment you've had in a community you run or are a part of? So I was this random Brazilian living in Argentina started working for a startup accelerator and that's how I got into the startup ecosystem. And then this startup founder from this accelerator came and said, uh, okay, so I've, I applied for this thing and I'm now the director of Startup Grind in Buenos Aires and we should do this. And he sent us the list of checklists of what needed to be done. I was a marketing assistant by then, AKA community builder, but there was no such thing yet. Because basically what I was doing was, was like connecting founders to investors, organizing meetups and for the accelerator. But there was no community builder as a title yet. And then this guy came in and just basically he threw all the work on me and I had no idea what I had to do. And I just didn't understand. Like he was a startup going director. And then I said I had to do this series of things. And this guy just disappeared for like two months. And he put me in touch with this guy called Derek Anderson. And I was... This guy was sending us email and asking us when were we going to host the event. And I was just like clueless what was going on. And one day, this guy, Derek, sends them to me saying, okay, guys, I understand that you are not willing to take this forward. It's all cool. We are canceling Buenos Aires. And I just felt like this was wrong. I don't know what's going on here, but we're excluding Buenos Aires from something because someone didn't do something. And I felt like I had to do something. So I just felt like to help, I said, I'll take over this. And I told my boss, look, I read through this thing. It seems like we just have to host an event every month. And that's it. And we have to interview founders. And I, I mean, I could do that. She's like, oh, no, you couldn't because you don't have time. And I was just anxious. And I would just do that. Can I? And she was like, okay, you do it. But if it goes wrong, it's all your fault. <laughs> so that's how I became a grind director of Buenos Aires because I never applied if I had applied, I would never have been selected because I was not cool. I was just like this random. And I just wanted to help. And from helping this, uh, so I started hosting Startup Grind in Buenos Aires. And one year later, I had hosted the founder of Mercado Libre, OLX, Globan. And for those who don't know, these companies are the first and largest unicorns and companies in Latin America who started, which started from Argentina. And a year later, I just moved to Malaysia. In a nutshell, Startup Grand Buenos Aires was super successful. And that was thanks to Derek giving me a chance because I just wanted to help. One year later, I moved to, I moved to Malaysia and said, Derek, I will start a chapter in KL, in Kuala Lumpur. And he's like, oh, hey, okay, you have to apply again. I applied again. They selected me, of course, that at the time Francisco was hosting it. And I'll cut the story short, but what happened from there was that I had become a startup grind director by accident, doing this thing I didn't know was called community building. Moved to Malaysia, started a chapter in Kuala Lumpur, and I moved to Malaysia to work for a company. Within two months in that company, I was very frustrated and I was sharing, I wanted to host my first startup grind event at their office, which was an amazing startup office. They didn't want to host me there because they said I would compete with other meetups. They were trying to basically like spoil everything. They were not trying to spoil everything. It was a complicated relationship, but they were not very much helping. And I was showing Derek, look, I figured out another location. I found a speaker and I'm hosting this event. 
but they're complicating my life. Now that the event started working and it's successful, I had 250 people in my third startup grind event in Kuala Lumpur and started it from scratch. So after the event was successful, the company was trying to like steal it from me and now have it at their office, then take me from the game. Or then Derek literally was like, I don't know if I should share this thing he said by email, but I think it's okay. He said something was like, why don't you quit this boulders and come work for me? So that's how I became Startup Wines Africa and APAC director, living in Malaysia. And that later led me to join the Malaysian government, start a company and all the things that followed. And it all started from being a young person who just wanted to help. And everything I am today is thanks to just wanting to help. And that I'm very emotional about the story. And I hope Derek and all the startup community, they know how much it means to me to have been able to join and join them and learn so much from them. And everything I think I've done later boils from that moment of wanting honestly to help and add value. So that's a long story. But I think that's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. It's a long story with a moral that you should just follow your heart and help where you want to see things change yeah. and, and make those changes. So thank you so much for sharing, Lais. It's been such a pleasure to have you. I cry bad. Thanks so much for having me. And I will mention that Lais's book, uh, Hacking Communities, came out in December, but she is planning a relaunch for early this year. So stay tuned because you could actually receive the in-paper copy of this fantastic book. In fact, yes, we're launching a print version uh, very soon in Q1. So stay tuned. Perfect. Thanks, Lais. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about how to create your own community, go to pod.bevy.com. That's pod.bevy.com. This is the Community Corner, and I'm Beth McIntyre. 